All right, Jeremy Howard again here to uh, talk to you about the book of Genesis, following along with the Come Follow Me Bible curriculum uh, for Sunday school in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, or the Mormon Church, as some people have nicknamed them. And uh, today, it's kind of interesting, because on the schedule that the uh, LDS Church put out, they just skip chapters 34, 35, and 36 of Genesis, which I can kind of understand, but kind of not understand. I don't, I don't really know what the thinking was there. Uh, chapter 34 is just a crazy chapter in uh, the whole book. I, you need to read it. I, I would assume that um, if you're LDS and you're listening, I'm assuming your church is still encouraging you to read these chapters, even though they don't have uh, lessons on them. But chapter 34, I actually wrote a paper about this chapter in my Genesis class in Bible college. And uh, wow, it's, it's very interesting. Two sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, they avenge a wrong that was done to their sister, Dinah. So there was a, Dinah was out, it says, in the land, and she was visiting some of the other daughters. And uh, there she was in the land, and she was taken by a man by force, and she was raped, it appears. But the man really liked her and said to his dad, hey, uh, can you get her for me as a wife? Because I really, I would, I would like that. And so the dad, it seems like the dad is extremely obliging for his son. And he goes to Jacob and uh, says, well, um, my son would like to have your daughter. And both the dad and Jacob knew that the son had taken Dinah by force. And, uh, Dinah's brothers, Simeon and Levi, they come in from the field, and then now you've got all of them in the same room, and it's open information that that the man had had raped Dinah and that he wants her as a wife. And so the brothers aren't happy. Jacob's not happy. And the dad of the, the rapist, he's there to say, hey, let's just, you know, let ask whatever you want of me. Let's make this right. Can he have her as a wife? And then, you know, we, you just ask whatever you want and we can share trade together uh, and it'll be it'll be nice. We can move past this. Well, uh, Simeon and Levi, the brothers of Dinah, sons of Jacob, they devised a little plan and they said, you know, it wouldn't be right for her to marry someone who's uncircumcised or to associate with a whole bunch of people that are uncircumcised. So how about this? You guys go home and all the males of your clan there you all get, get circumcised, and then we can move forward with the plan. And they say, okay. Uh, it says that the man and the son, the rapist, they go back to their people and said, hey, here's the thing. We're going to be circumcised now. And we're talking adult men here, you know, not, not just kids, but adult men. It doesn't say that the people needed to be convinced. I would think that those men would need some strong convincing, but it doesn't say that. It just says they, they came back and... They all got circumcised. Well, Simeon and Levi had no intention to you actually accept that as a means to, you know, allow their sister to go be with this man and those people. So while the men were all in pain and recovering, the text says, Simeon and Levi come rolling in with swords and they kill a bunch of guys and they take all their stuff and they say, ha ha, joke's on you your face. And uh, they said, you're not going to treat our, our sister like, like that. And now you lose and we win. Well, that was anger and that was pride on their part. 
when I first read that story as a new Christian, I thought, man, that's a, that's a kind of a cool story. <laughs> like, like, Hey, the, you're, you're going to do that to, uh, our sister and you're going to just act like it's, you know, we can all move past that. Well, we're going to show you. Well, uh, that's not cool. That's not cool to do that. And, uh, We'll see that play out later in their lives because uh, when Jacob blesses his um, his sons, Simeon and Levi don't get a blessing. They are paired together in his remarks, and they are told, you are sons of anger and self-willed, and uh, yeah, you, you guys aren't getting a blessing from me. So not cool what they did, but an amazing story, Genesis 34. Then you have in chapters 35 and 36, you've got the death of Rachel, Jacob's wife. You have the death of Isaac, Jacob's father. Uh, the descendants of Esau are listed. This is the um, what becomes the nation of Edom. And so there are some things in there that are, are quite interesting. So don't definitely don't skip over them, for sure. You want to read through that and, and see what's going on. You also have a a description of the 12 sons of Israel. Remember in the last episode, Jacob's name has been changed to Israel. And now you have these 12 sons who become the 12 tribes, and you have this listed out in these chapters, in chapter hmm, 35, I think, at the end of chapter 35. What's interesting about those 12 tribes, by the way, is uh, the order of the names isn't always the same in Scripture. And in fact, uh, the the names themselves aren't always the same, because as you go on, especially in the New Testament, but definitely in the Old Testament too, you'll see instead of Joseph's name being listed, you'll see his sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, or a combination of them with taking out by putting both of them in and taking out another name from the 12 tribes. Just names and order just get rearranged. And so when you consider the order of the names and the names themselves, there are actually 20 lists in the Bible of the 12 tribes of Israel go all the way to Revelation 7, and that's a unique list. It's all the way at the end of the Bible, you have the 12 tribes of Israel listed in a way that's unique than the 19 times that came before, which is pretty fascinating to me. But at this point in the narrative, though, in, in Genesis, as we get through uh, the death of Rachel and the death of Isaac, and you, you have the genealogy of Esau listed, the rest of the book is really focused on Joseph. The second youngest son of, of Jacob, Benjamin being the youngest, you have uh, Joseph and all the ups and downs that he goes through in his life. You have that at the end of uh, the book of Genesis, over 10 chapters devoted to the story of Joseph. Now, there are four major events that happen over the course of several chapters here in Joseph's life, and there's an easy way for you to remember this. You can uh, remember the four Ps First, Joseph is thrown into a pit by his brothers. If you remember the story, Joseph had a dream, and his brothers uh, didn't like the dream that he had, and he was thrown into a pit. So that's the first P. Second, he was taken to Potiphar's house. There's the second P. He went from the pit to Potiphar's house, Potiphar being a very wealthy man with influence. Uh, but while he was there, Potiphar's wife told a lie about Joseph that he was coming onto her, and she screamed. But the reality was actually the opposite. She was coming on to him, and he rejected her. And so she said, ah, take this young man away. He was trying to, to come on to me. So he went from the pit to Potiphar's house, and then after that, he went to prison. 
because you can't be messing with Potiphar's wife and expect things to go well. He ended up in prison uh, where he interpreted some dreams. There's a baker involved. That's a pretty fascinating story. He ends up going to prison. That's the third P. And because of his ability to interpret dreams, he gets notoriety again, and he gets to another place of influence with the fourth P. And this one's a little bit of a stretch. He becomes a president of sorts. The text actually says governor, but for our sake, for the, for the sake of alliteration, we're going to say president. He becomes a president, uh, a ruler over land in Egypt. So Pitt, Potiphar, prison, president. Down into a pit, up to Potiphar's house, down to prison, up to status of president in Egypt. It's an amazing, amazing story, and there's so much to see. We can't talk about all those things. Uh, well, I guess we could, but I, I just don't have the bandwidth to be able to do that in this format. And so uh, I want you to read that for yourself. And I actually want to focus on something other than Joseph for the rest of this episode. And I'm already past nine minutes. How does this happen? That's so fast. So for the next five minutes or so, I want really want to try to keep these to 15. I want to focus on something totally different from Joseph, and I want to go to Genesis 38, and I want to highlight Judah. Okay, Genesis 38, and uh, let's see, I'll start in verse 6. I still have my, my setup here from the last episode I did, recording these back-to-back. But let me switch over to this so you can see the text if you're following along um, on video. Okay, Genesis uh, chapter 38. You have this interesting story of Judah and Tamar. Judah and Tamar. Judah is one of the sons of Israel, one of the 12 tribes of Israel. I'm sure you've heard that name before. And what I want you to consider is how God uses messed up people by His grace. Two big things to note in that phrase, God uses messed up people by his grace. One, people are messed up. (laughs) Uh, All of us are messed up. But then there's like a section of humanity that's really messed up. Have you noticed that? That everybody's messed up, but some are just really super duper messed up. Everybody's sinful, you could say. But some have especially grievous or vile, sinful ways. Um. Now, that's not to say that some people are, you know, quote-unquote, more sinners than other people. I think we're all equally sinners. The Bible teaches we're all equally sinners. That's what I believe. But there are, of course, different degrees of how messed up people are. So God uses messed up people, but it's also by His grace. That's the other aspect. Um, He certainly doesn't have to, and there are cases where He doesn't use messed up people. There are, there are certain cases where sinners get exactly what they deserved rather quickly. But there are other cases where God, in His sovereign grace, by His free choice, He uses messed up people. And that's pretty amazing, because no messed up person, or you could read into that sinner, deserves to be used by God. And we're going to learn about that in what? I've probably spoken three minutes. Two, the next two to three minutes... <laughs> How realistic is that? In the next couple of minutes, we're going we're gonna to talk about that. All right, Genesis 38, verse 6. It says, Judah, one of these sons of Jacob, took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. All right, so now, you're, now Tamar enters the scene. But uh, the role that she has right now, the only role she has is the wife of Ur. And look what verse 7 says. 
Ur, Judah's firstborn, was evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord took his life. You could read that. Ur was messed up, so God killed him. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Wow. Well, um, Ur isn't the only son that, that Judah had. Judah actually had three sons. And his second son is Onan. It says that Judah said to Onan, this is Genesis 38, 8, go into your brother's wife and perform your duty as her brother-in-law to her and raise up offspring for your brother. Now, Onan knew that the offspring would not be his. So he went into his brother's wife, or when he went into his brother's wife, he wasted his seed on the ground in order not to give offspring to his brother. Verse 10, what he did was displeasing in the sight of the Lord, so he took his life also. Okay, now stop. <laughs> stop. So Onan, you know, part of the, the way that things went in Israel, um, a cultural thing that started, you know, before this was actually codified in law, was, okay, a man dies and had a wife, and so the next brother in line is to perform a brotherly duty in helping his brother carry on his heritage. So in this case, of course, Ur was married to Tamar and they had no kids. So there's no one to pass the heritage on to Ur as the firstborn, especially for the inheritance that he was set to give and everything else, get and everything else. He should have some children. And so Onan's duty was to have intercourse with Tamar and those children then would be in the line of Ur. Not in the line of Onan, but in the line of Ur. That's his duty. Well, he uh, didn't stick with it, and he wasted his seed on the ground. We'll just keep it rated G and just leave it at that. And God killed him. So Ur was evil, the first son. God killed him. Onan was disobedient. God killed him. Well, there's one son left. There's one more son that Judah had. And Judith says to Tamar, hey, let's wait till he, he grows up and uh, we'll, we'll try this again. <laughs> okay. So Tamar stays around. She stays in the family. Again, this is just how these cultural or uh, how the culture went. And over the course of time, Tamar saw that the third son was grown up and, and she hadn't gotten him yet. And so Tamar is getting uh, anxious and in her anxiety, she acts in her flesh and she dresses up out of her widow's clothes. There were certain clothes that were worn to show that she's a widow. She gets out of those clothes and she disguises herself and dresses in a certain way, stands in a certain place and encounters Judah who was going up to shear his, his sheep. And she does her, her thing in playing the harlot, acting like a prostitute to get Judah's attention. And Judah also acting in his flesh, he meets up with her and he says, okay, um, well, what you got going on? And she says, what are you going to give me? This is what prostitutes do. What are you going to give me that we may have a good time together? So he agrees to give her a goat because back then, apparently that's just how that worked. And so he went in to his daughter-in-law, Tamar, and she conceived. Well, then uh, time goes by. They they couldn't, um, she, she goes back into her widow's clothes and uh, Judah sends a young man with the goat to go give it to her. And she's not there anymore. Nobody knows where she is. And so he's like, well, this, I'm going to become a laughing stock. This is a mess. And then he finds out that Tamar is pregnant. And so he plays the hypocrite and we'll just look at the text. Oh, I need to need to switch 
over to the text. Here we go. He goes over, um, I don't know why I said he goes over. He finds out that she's pregnant, and look at what he says. Judah says, verse 24, bring her out and let her be burned. Oh, my. Let her be burned. He is a total hypocrite here uh, because he, of course, is just as guilty as she is in this whole endeavor. There's just no evidence that he was involved yet. (laughs) While she was being brought out to be burned, she sent to her father-in-law saying, I am with child by the man to whom these things belong. And she said, please examine and see whose signet ring and cords and staff are these. And of course, they're Judah's. And everyone knows they're Judah's. Judah recognized them and said, she is more righteous than I. And as much as I did not give her to my son, Shelah, the third son. And he did not have relations with her again, it says. She went on to give birth, not to one child, but to two. She was pregnant with twins. Perez and Zerah were born to Tamar from Judah. Now, lest you forget, God uses messed up people by his grace. Or you could say, according to his gracious choice. (laughs) He could have used Ur even though Ur was evil in his sight, right? But he didn't. He could have used Onan, even though Onan committed that one act of disobedience. He could have still used him, right? Yeah, but he didn't. He killed both of those guys. And Judah here has relations with his daughter-in-law, is a hypocrite about it, covers up his tracks, doesn't admit, doesn't repent, doesn't seek to make things right on his own. God could have killed him. Very rightly, justly, he could have. But instead, he lets him live. He brings him to the place of repentance. And what you'll see at the end of Jacob's life, unlike Simeon and Levi, these are Judah's brothers, Judah actually gets a blessing. Simeon and Levi don't get a blessing from Jacob at the, at the end of Jacob's life. But Judah does. And he's told that there's going to be one coming from him. This is where the phrase lion of the tribe of Judah comes from. And, and who's the lion of the tribe of Judah? Revelation tells us Jesus Christ. From Judah's line, we get the savior of the world. Wow. Wow. This is God's choice in the matter. This is God's grace. This is God displaying his patience, his mercy, his kindness, his goodness, and his love. Wow. So uh, I I want you to see this, and we'll talk about it more in the next episode, which is the last episode in the book of Genesis, how the book of Genesis is all about God's sovereignty, his choice, and his grace. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. This is God who has a predetermined plan, bringing it to completion by his will. And and no one is able to reverse what he has decided he's going to do. What an amazing thing. So go read about Joseph. Go read about Joseph. Hopefully my sharing of chapters 34 and 38 is something a little different. I assume if you're LDS and you're listening to this that you're probably not going to discuss Levi and Simeon 
killing a bunch of guys who just circumcised themselves, or uh, probably not too much of Judah and Tamar, which is kind of a gross story when you think about it. But wow, God's grace. How amazing is that? All right. Thanks for listening. God bless.